Perfection is the enemy of progress. Yes. You have to find out what is good enough and move it, ship it, get it to that point. If not, you're never going to get stuff done. Hello and welcome to the Great Business Minds podcast, the defining show for digital leaders, visionaries, and trendsetters. I'm your host, Jean-Marc Slima, and I use my experience as a digital infrastructure journalist to dig deep into business issues, but also get to know those who build our digital worlds. And in this episode, have you ever struggled with going from idea to scale relatively fast? Well, look no forward, because that's exactly what we'll be discussing with one of the industry's biggest names. And I'm excited to introduce our first ever guest, Dean Nelson. Dean, thank you so much for accepting our invitation. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me on the show. This is uh, I'm I'm looking forward to chatting. It's been way too long. Oh, <laughs> uh, tell me about it. I mean, the last time I saw you was probably what two years or nearly two years ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know you're traveling now, and I'm very very jealous. Um, <laughs> you're talking to me on a business trip. But um, for those who might not know, Dean is the founder and chairman of Infrastructure Masons. He also serves as CEO of Virtual Power Systems. He's the founder and CEO of Dean Nelson Inc co-founder of the Just Let Me Learn Foundation, and he's also a co-host of his own podcast, The Next Wave. Um, I mean, Dean, there is a lot of job titles, and I think I've missed a few. <laughs> so you're, very, you're a very business person, but you're also very, very su- successful. Um, as an entrepreneur, how did you manage to disrupt the marketplace so fast and so well, um, especially with infrastructure masons, for example? Um. You know, I, I look at this as a, I, I love what I do. So when you love what you do, you're just, you're always thinking about it and always doing something with it. And, um, and I, I, I chose this career. Actually, I'm sorry. This career chose me first, by the way. I, I came into the digital infrastructure industry on my 21st birthday. I joined Sun Microsystems. I was on the uh, manufacturing floor doing component level debug. And, you know, I had no idea what the Silicon Valley was, what Unix was. I, I knew nothing. So I came out here, I had an electronics uh, associate's degree and I learned everything at Sun, right? And Sun Microsystems was just uh, the University of Sun. But um, if you think about, that was now 31 plus years ago. Hmm. And um, what I learned was things on the job. And uh, in an industry that again, I had no idea about, and I'm just so proud and thankful to be even in this industry. Um, I didn't realize it would turn into what we have today, that every person on the planet is actually dependent upon it. Hmm. So when you think about the entrepreneurship, um, why do we have what we have? There's a lot of creative minds looking at problems and uh, coming up with novel ways to solve those problems. And for me, I've, I've always been very curious. So I like to know how things work. Hmm. So you know, when I was a kid, I would take things apart, like lots of lots of engineers would, to, to see what's inside. And um, those experiences uh, taught me the the way that things start to connect. And so, from an entrepreneurial standpoint, um, I I love to start with a clean slate. And there's a lot of assumptions that hold us back. So think about like a, like well, it, those L variables and those elements are there. I can't change those. Well, you know, I, I look at it as if, if you don't like what's happening in the game, change the rules. There's no reason why you can't go back and actually say, well, what if we just took that out of the way and started with a clean slate? Yeah, disrupt the status quo. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and the thing is that a lot of us get caught into that one. It's like, I can't change that. I can't, I can't actually affect that variable. But the majority of the time, you can. It just depends on your approach to it. 
And so we've done this everywhere from, I'll give you one example at eBay. Um, uh, we had uh, a brand new data center we were building and there was, you know, emerging technologies coming up, uh, fuel cells. And uh, I sat down with my team and I kept looking at the technology. I thought, there's got to be an application for this, All right? And this is in uh, 2011. And so uh, I sat down with the team and I said, look, I've been seeing a lot of these things pop back up. I want you to take some time. I want you to take out all of the preconceived notions that you had about how to design this data center. And I'm going to throw a new variable in the middle. Can you apply fuel cells as on-site power generation? And they're like, oh, no, this hasn't been done before. All the other, other things that come up. I said, I got it. I got it. I just want you, you have the freedom and the openness. I'm giving you the, right, the authority. Go look at what you would do if you had a brand new clean sheet of paper. They came back to me uh, three weeks later, and they were selling me on the idea. <laughs> and, and the reason was because they, they suddenly had the, the ability to go, um, I guess, have the leeway to, to explore something. And I'll tell you that the number one thing you can do for engineers is let them engineer. Here are the other pieces of it. The, the, the number one worst thing you can do is throttle them, hold them back with, nope, can't do this, 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 and this. You have to work in these little boundaries. But boy, if you open up that, that ability, they, they shine. And I, that's one of the, the projects I was most proud of because we, we had primary power all from fuel cells, right? And we consumed 100% of the energy generated 150 feet away. So, I mean, from an efficiency standpoint, you know, versus all the losses across the electrical grid, et cetera. And then we had, we had this, um, uh, it was natural gas. So we're in a dirty part of the country because it was mostly coal. So we had lowered the carbon impact when it came to it. And then we started looking at projects to say, we're going to take the natural gas um, compression stations, right? Where this gas is coming in to power the fuel cells. And then we're going to take the waste heat from those compression stations to turn turbines and generate five megawatts of electricity. And that will feed the data center. So suddenly we got this circle, but we'd never even thought about those things if we hadn't opened up the concept, right? So removing the assumptions, starting with a clean slate of paper and really rethinking the, uh, the, you know, the idea. That's, that's what I see entrepreneurs do a lot. If, if they can do that, they come up with very creative ideas that really disrupt in the market and have game-changing effects. It's almost like in the arts world, in the music world, the cinema world, the artistic world, mm -hmm. you do have to let the artist do its, his or her own thing to really shine through and create those hits. And I mean, the engineers are the artists of our world. Um, so if you put them in a box, they will yeah. not be able to create the masterpieces they will be able to do if they are free to do so. Um, but I mean, I think you also kind of answer my follow-up question because it's my question is what motivates you? And you've said a lot of things that kind of answer the question, but I want to ask you more directly, what motivates you um, to do everything that you do and be so passionate about everything? Yeah, it, it really does start with the, I love what I do. So, it, you know, anybody who's listening to this that may be in that funk, you know, kind of in a, in a rut, ask yourself, what do you really want to do every day? What do you really like to do? What really turns your crank? And go do that. It's your, it's your life. It's your choice, right? And so I found technology to be extremely rewarding for me, meaning that um, I like to do things that are fun and useful, meaningful, right? They're going to contribute to something bigger. And it doesn't matter if it's community aspects or the commercial aspects or relationships or, you know, it's like, wh where am I spending my time? You know what I mean? And so I'm motivated by uh, that I spent my day doing this one and I knew I had a positive impact on what it was.
So, you know, that, that is, if you take iMasons, I'm so proud of what our community has been able to do. We're, we're uniting the builders of the digital age in a time when technology is so incredibly important to everybody. Think about it. We're stuck on Zoom right now because of the pandemic. Zoom has gone from 10 million, right? Daily users to 300 million in a little over a year. <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, yeah. And, and so, so when you think about, you know, the, the something meaningful Zoom and all the other platforms have basically enabled the world to continue to run. Doesn't matter if you're trying to, to order something off of Amazon, right? Or food from Uber Eats, or, you know, um, even just being able to communicate with your family over some type of thing, whether it's FaceTime or, or any other platform, it's extremely important. But for me, digital infrastructure is, it's the, the internet of everything, right? We connect all those pieces. And without it, the world would slow down or stop or regress. Technology is the thing that enables our society to continue to evolve and expand. And this pandemic has really proven that technology is extremely critical during something as, as you know, globally impacting as a pandemic. I mean, you can definitely see because if we did not have what this industry provides, we would not be able to carry on our jobs. I mean, people would not be able to work oh, yeah. from home. The, the, the whole work from home thing would never happen. And you would have seen unemployment rates going through the roof uh, more than they have been, it would have been a calamity yeah, totally. on the job. Totally. So, I mean, and the industry has an amazingly, I think, because I think we both keep our eyes on headlines across the world and we have not seen any major story that something went down, it was terrible and it was wrong. And I think the industry has done really, really, really well from the data center to the telecoms guys and software, mm -hmm. everything. Yeah, I, I think there's two parts of that. One is that um, the, the team rose to the challenge. If you think about all the different technology teams around there, first off, when you go overnight, literally to people working in the office to working at home, th think of all the elements that are associated with that network connectivity, security, bandwidth to applications to, you know, data to retention to uh, there's just so much stuff going on. Um, uh, the, the industry basically absorbed all that growth immediately. So that's one side, right? But it also shows something that I think that we need to do better, which is, so everything grew that way. Well, they absorbed the majority of it, right? But that meant we had a whole bunch of things overbuilt. Efficiency when it comes down to it. So we absorbed all this in a unprecedented, right? Growth spurt. Well, um, well, how efficient are we to begin with? Because <laughs> I look at a lot of the things that I've built, right? And the redundancy and the assumptions of you have to have disaster recovery across these things. And then the amount of duplication that you put in place to ensure that when you have that one-time event, that you're going to be okay. There's different ways to do that. You know, uh, so for example, at Uber, we had, um, there's a thing called replication factor. Yeah. you familiar with that? Yeah. So so, you know, we have, if, if you think of a standard architecture, you've got kind of two regions in that region, you know, you have uh, things running, you have a failover on the other. So like a, a active passive, right? Yeah. But you want an active active that both of them are serving, but if one fails, the other one's going to pick it all up. Um, but in the architecture, if you have this fail, you have data loss from one region to the other. Well, then you start hammering out like what's going on with cloud. You have three zones. And so I can have a zone fail and the other two zones are covering it within a region. And I don't lose any data because it's right, written to all of them, right? Okay, so if I do that, 
I need 220% of capacity. Think about that for a second. I have 100% in one, 100% in the other, then I have 20% on each of them to make sure that if I have a failure in whatever I handle it, that's way too much waste. So what we started doing, of course, is what a lot of folks are doing from architecture is you start to increase the amount of regions that you have. You distribute that out. So now you go from a 2.2 replication factor. When you go to three regions, it's 1.9. Then you go to four regions, it goes to 1.7. So you can get it all the way down to where I really only need 30% additional capacity on top of this to run a global footprint versus another 120% on top of my 100 you know, so that's what that's what really got me here is that we have we we absorbed it. it's great, but also we have a we have a lot of opportunity to drive efficiency within our industry um, because we are pretty new. When you think about it, it's only been a, you know a couple of decades, really yeah. less than three that we've been doing this stuff, and this growth that's gone on is 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 incredible, especially in the last five years, and then this last year, uh, everyone calls us a spurt, right? A growth spurt? Yeah, it's not. This is the new baseline. Why? Not everybody's going to go back to the office and everybody's now proven work from home works <laughs> and it's more efficient. Companies are adapting to it. Everything's going to be a hybrid world when it comes down to how you're engaging with talent. And I'll tell you at my own company at VPS, what, what's great is I shut down my office in California. I saved that money. And all of a sudden I was able to hire people wherever they are. My goodness, the talent pool just opened up. It's, I got access to talent that I really didn't have access to before. It's like you had to quote unquote, be in the office in the corporate headquarters that that's out the window now because, you know, people have also tasted the ability to say, I can work from anywhere, especially software development, business development, or operations, et cetera. There are people that need to be specific in areas, but the majority of stuff that we're working on, I can have people anywhere. It's a new world. It's great. I mean, it also improves everyone's quality of life because you're allowed to spend mm -hmm. more time with your family, with your friends, um, and still do your job. And studies yeah. do show, I mean, I don't know if you're aware, but Spain, for example, has trialed this. And a four-day week actually delivered a lot more growth than a five-day week. Um, and I mean, this whole concept of nine to five, it's a fairly new concept. It's been around for 100 years. Um, it's not something that's been there for ages. So we can disrupt it. We can get a blank sheet, piece of shit and then just start it all yep. over again. Um, mm -hmm. and I think that's where we're going. But uh, one thing that fascinates when I speak to you as well, it's you have all these brilliant ideas, infrastructure mazes and everything else. And you just shared so much with us even in just few first few minutes. But how do you get these ideas? Where do the ideas come from? What's your thought process? How do you get to the things that you do? <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, th th this is actually pretty simple. I, I talk to people a lot like this, right? Yeah. It sparks different conversations. And in those, I have, um, you know, I, I, I do these kind of one-on-one -on -one, uh, top of mind conversations. I just, so what's going on in your world? And then from there, you start just kind of riffing off each other. Take your music analogy. And you're looking at this one like, oh, well, you're in that one? Oh, so, oh, what did you learn about this one? And then I start sharing and et cetera. And so we kind of have these jam sessions. And um, I find those as kind of unstructured, open, top of mind. And whether it's with a one-on-one -on -one with a person or with its like the advisory council for iMasons, we get senior leaders from all over the world, jump on a 90-minute call, and we start with what's top of mind for you? 
and people start going into it and it just it just goes into the, these really the really interesting conversation because well that's what's that's what's important to them right now it's like the pulse you know and um that the the dots like you said they all start to connect and you have these really interesting and deep conversations that lead to more conversations you know um so so for example um at, at virtual power systems uh you know i took over as ceo last year and this new startup and i'm loving it um but there was kind of one vertical they're going after data centers quote unquote of how we can go back and unlock stranded capacity inside of data centers okay great well in the conversations i'm having with all these different people i realized that there, there's actually four different sectors we're going to go after four different verticals because data center is broken down into you've got colo and you have enterprise right and that's really where uh, we're targeting our technology but you also have emerging edge well, Edge is just another data center that's distributed close to users, and it's going to be a smaller element with different resiliency and different type of workloads on it. But it's the same elements that are coming together, just put together in a little different way. But on top of that, we had no idea that crypto mining also needed our technology. Well, it's not coming. It's here. Like, it's insane when you think about what crypto mining is already doing from a data center, from a power draw. Let me give you a few stats, okay? Right now, the baseline for the data center industry for 2020 is 240 terawatt hours of consumption, okay? 240 terawatt hours. So just to put that in perspective, translate that to capacity, because that's a time measurement, right? 240 terawatt hours, great. Well, that is about 35 to 40 gigawatts of capacity built, okay? So... 240 terawatt hours. I checked this morning, Bitcoin, like mining itself, 141 terawatt hours. <laughs> Think about that for a second. The entire global data center industry is consuming two, 240 terawatt hours. Bitcoin mining itself, which is probably 60% of overall or 70% of overall crypto mining is already consuming 141 terawatt hours. That means there's at least 50 gigawatts of capacity built across these two sectors, right? Bitcoin goes into the 90, 95, 96% utilization. Data centers are in the less than 50% utilization of the capacity, right? But, but I, I look at that going, okay, well, there's another vertical. They still have an opportunity to eke out more mining, more capability of stuff they deploy. So. I, these four verticals that we have, these four market segments, we didn't really even think about it that until I was having other conversations with more leaders and discovering. Because in the end of it, generating new ideas, you can, you can be sitting in a vacuum and talking you know, to yourself doing these things. You're going to be limited with what you come up with. When you start opening up that spectrum and multiplying this across other people, the jam sessions I talk about turn into ideas that turn into opportunities that turn into solutions that turn into uh, resolutions that are going to be really, really impactful. It doesn't matter if it's community or commercial, right? Or your relationships. Hmm. That's how and, I look at it. But ideas generate ideas. You push for my idea, I'll push for your idea. And our ideas combined will create this massive idea. Uh, but mm -hmm. I mean, that on crypto mining, that's, that's mind blowing. I mean, I actually, I wasn't aware um, of, of those numbers um, and it really puts things into perspective. Um, mm -hmm. It's a whole different, a whole different game. Um, but speaking of bringing ideas together and creating something really big, what yeah. would you say has been your biggest aha moment? Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's it's one that wouldn't be seen as uh, uh, sexy. Oh, I'll put it that okay. way. 
I'm All curious. Right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so from the first 17 years of my, my career, I was uh, an engineer, right? I was uh, jumping in, solving problems, et cetera. And I, I passed up management opportunities all the time. Because I, I said, like, no, I think I can add more value as an engineer. I want to go solve these problems, right? I don't want to be the overhead of management. Then I started leading teams. And in those teams, uh, I started realizing that helping to guide teams of technologists was really rewarding to me. I liked it because all of a sudden you had all these other people that could work on something. You can get an even bigger impact. So then I got into executive management. And this is where the aha moment came. So there was a guy named Alan Marks. He was the, uh, an SVP at eBay. Okay. Mm -hmm. And he, uh, he, he ticked me off in a conversation. And then I realized when I was frustrated, he <laughs> was right. Okay. And so the, the aha moment for me was I came in and started talking about all this great stuff we're doing with technology and how it's impacting sustainability and, and those things inside of what we're doing for eBay. Right. And he's sitting there and his eyes start glossing over a little bit. He's, he's chief communication officer. Okay. So he did marketing, PR, all those things about what eBay was doing back in the day. And, um, and he said, that's great, but what does it mean to the business? I said, well, okay. He goes, no, no, seriously, what you're doing all these things. What's the bottom line? What metrics are moving in the business? I couldn't answer the question. I said, but it's great with this. He goes, I hear you. It's great. What is it doing for the business? And so I left that meeting frustrated <laughs> and, and it was because I'm like, but why can't he see all these cool things that are going on? Da, 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 right. And, and then I realized as I sat down with my team and started looking at going, I have to translate this back into business language. So the biggest aha for me was if you can now say, I know this technology, technology is great, but it's a thing. What does it mean when you apply that technology to the business? So if you can show how the metrics move for a business, the key performance indicators for that business, there's usually no resistance in getting your solution, your technology, your choice done because it's aligned to the business. So that to me is, is probably one of the most important things that um, I learned uh, probably halfway through my career. And now I started translating those. So two years later, I went back to Alan <laughs> Marks, okay? It was two years. And I said, this is what it means to the business. Cause I didn't expect it to be that long, but we created a brand new metric called digital service efficiency. And that tied everything in infrastructure back to transactions on eBay, transactions per kilowatt. And then we flipped it and said, that is cost per transaction. Then that was carbon emitted per transaction, revenue generated per transaction. So suddenly, I had created a way in which I could have a conversation with all of the C-level to say, look, your investment in infrastructure has these metrics that we can measure on a quarterly basis of how well the infrastructure is, is, is performing for you, right? Against your key metrics. And, and that was, uh, that was really incredible. I, I, I had, um, I use that now for years after that. Right. And there was a couple other people that were uh, really influential in my career on, on that aha moment too. And it was Sean Canellan. Um, he was a VP at Sun Microsystems and he really said, what's the value prop? Well, how do you define what a value prop is? It goes back to what are you trying to go back and convince somebody on? And then Bob Swan, who was the CFO at eBay, um, he, uh, again, he just, he did it in, in a ledger. He basically said, you have debits and credits. These are good and the bad. So how are you actually communicating? Right. So I use that and applied that across uh, uh, how I did this too. But you, you take all those experiences 
And you realize that if you're going to be successful in technology, you must be able to speak business language. Hmm. If you can't, you're just a technologist with a bunch of ideas and you will not make progress, the big progress that you really want to. So that's what I mean. It's not as sexy in the end of it. It really, but it really comes down to if you do that, you can move mountains because yeah. there's lots of money and lots of people behind it would say, let's go. Yeah, no, I mean, I think you're absolutely right as well. And sometimes coming away from a meeting with a question that you cannot answer, but then just don't give up on it. Go and try mm -hmm. to find an answer to that question because if you're so sure about your product as well, just don't give up because someone asks a question that you don't have an answer for. Uh, mm -hmm. And I mean, and essentially you created, I don't know if this, this is correct, but you almost created like the Google Analytics for infrastructure um, that gives you all these details and everything and you're still using it nowadays. Um, and it's a complete game changer, especially as the, as the industry moves into a more green, sustainable right. uh, level. Right. All these figures are extremely, extremely important. Mm -hmm. um, but um, I mean, now moving on in even more to your personal side of things when it comes to the industry. Um, mm -hmm. We already discussed you were involved with a lot of different brands and everything. So you must have like a really busy nine to five. I'm sure you don't do a nine to five either. It's probably more a, almost a midnight to 1 a.m. the next day. Um, how do you cope with multitasking and what advices have you got for people that are or people that want to get in this industry and they are overwhelmed by the amount of things they have to do? Um, mm. And for example, you just said, if you come to do technology, you also need to know, to, to know business. So for those, for some people, that will be overwhelming. But how do you cope with multitasking uh, and being at the helm of so many different brands? You know, I uh, this may not apply to everybody. Okay. So mm. for me, I... Um, I thrive on that, um, how would you say it? That variety, yeah. that variety. I really, the context switching. So from, from and, and it really comes down to your personality profile, I think. You know, if, if you can context switch and jump through a lot of different things, then you can run things like I'm talking about now. If you really want structure and focus, you should not diversify across those things. You should stay focused. And it really comes down to what satisfies you. you know, for me, it, it's in my DNA. I just, I love that. You know, like for my wife, drives her nuts. <laughs> it drains her. It's like, how, I, I have to have context on that, that thing of it. And to me, it's like, I can jump from topic to topic because it actually invigorates me. So for, I'll give you an example of my day. I start with executive meetings in the morning with my VPS leadership team. Then I've got advisory work I'm doing in the middle with Fortune 100 companies, right? Startups and private equity. So flipping literally from a business thing that I'm doing from a startup back into what are you doing and how can I help with that one? And then I go back into uh, iMason's like uh, sessions where we're brainstorming and industry pieces and aligning strategy on how we can now make a larger impact. Uh, and then I have podcasts, right? Cool. So, uh, you know, those are just a few examples of um, the mixture of what happens in my day. And uh, I think that I, I, you got to find something that is rewarding for you and really get in that rhythm. And I've, I personally, I, I'm, I'm happier now than I've ever been in my career. Because I get to go back and, and, and first off, be involved in and influence a lot of different things. And I believe that I'm actually adding value to those things based on you know, the 30 years of experience, trial and error and scars and everything else that I can apply to those conversations. And it just feels good. Like, again, like you asked earlier, being part of something bigger. You know, iMasons is a professional association that's actually representing the foundation for the internet of everything. We are the builders of the digital age. That's awesome. Well, it's not me. It's all of us. 
it's everybody that's uh, right is contributing to that one. So being a part of that, but also a disruptive company like Virtual Power Systems, we're going to go back and unlock stranded capacity all over the world because that 35,000 megawatts of capacity, I believe is 10,000 megawatts stranded. So we can go make a big difference and unlock that capacity, sustainability, revenue, efficiency, all the things that come from that. I mean, um, it, I, I just find it amazing, like the way you see things. And I think you thrive by being busy. Um, and I totally understand that because I'm exactly the same thing. I can't <laughs> not be not busy. Um, yeah. And then during lockdowns, <laughs> oh God, I mean, during lockdowns, sometimes you get to that part of the day, but like, what have I got to do or oh, not much? Oh God, this is not going very well. Because <laughs> then <laughs> it's Netflix one too. But uh, mm. I mean, you mentioned that uh, your schedule sometimes gets a bit too busy and your wife might not like it too much. How has being an entrepreneur affected mm. um, your personal life, your family life? Uh, okay, so first off, I believe that there is a, um, it's a misnomer or that I don't believe in the definition of the work-life balance that people always okay. talk about right? Because yeah. they're saying that there's this separation between work and family and all these things. It's just life. And uh, Michael Tobin, he wrote a, bu a book about this before, right? And I agree with so many things. And there was like uh, live life prosper, I think it was yeah. or something, live life work prosper. And, um, it, you know, it, I, I, I associated with a lot of things he was saying, you know, for me, my, my, my schedule is busy. I've got lots of things, but it comes down to how I balance my time. And if you look at right now, when we shut down the office, I'm working at home, pandemic, et cetera, but I'm in control of my time. Where I spend my time is based on my priorities. And so, um, you know, I, I travel a lot with my daughter and, uh, right, so she's in the entertainment industry and we've been doing this for probably 15 plus years, right? That, because um, she would audition down in Los Angeles and I was working at eBay. She'd get an audition call. I'd reschedule my afternoon. We jump on an airplane to do the audition and come back. And guess what? I'm doing my meetings while I'm traveling. It's great. But I get to spend time with my kid. And I get to be part of that in her life, right? And I'm flexible enough to say, yep, ready to go. I can make it work. So it's that balance, you know? And um, the, the other one is my, my wife travels with me when we were able to travel, right? Yeah. All over the world. And so we just, we use this as our, our trips because it's not just, um, you know, I'm traveling for work. I'm traveling. And so I'll stay over a weekend. We have it and it's our little adventure in time. We, we work, we play, we discover, et cetera. It's just great. We have lots of ways in which we can, um, uh, I guess, enjoy life. Mm -hmm. And again, I think there's also the, uh, uh, the understanding, you know, that my wife, God bless her, is, is very flexible in, in those things that, <laughs> you know, and, but we, we always, she keeps me in check and keeps me in balance as well that to make sure that we never lose sight of it. Because hmm. here's the other thing with the pandemic, I think it's been a challenge is, I don't know about you, but I, I sit down in the morning and then I realize it's, it's 12 hours later and I've been in Zoom calls all day, yeah, happens, you know, and, happens, yes. and so no commute except for a 30 second walk to the kitchen, you know <laughs> what I mean? But, but like in the end of it, I'm working more now than I was when I was actually going to the office. So there is a balance there to make sure that you're not getting too caught up. <laughs> in those things, you know? And so what I do now is uh, um, I now get up at seven in the morning. I have two hours in the morning where I'm actually walking. I'm getting my exercise in as well as I just jump on different calls and different things. And I'll land at a Starbucks down there and I have a couple of meetings uh, at, right at Starbucks outside. All right. And then I walk back and I continue my meetings. It's great. So it really comes down to this balance, right? When you talk about the, it, it's life life balance, not work-life balance. It is literally about how do you 
schedule your time and how do you have the flexibility to say what's important and how I do it? Yeah, no, no, I completely agree with that because uh, if you enjoy so much your work and we expect everyone to enjoy their life as well, why just not combine them together? Why spend time trying to split things apart and then mm -hmm. just create problems that way? Because then also if you create such a strict schedule of what you're allowed to do during those times of the day because you're trying to keep this balance, work-life balance, um, yeah. you're probably just not going to get much um, out of the way and you're going to get frustrated eventually. Um, so I think, yes, the way, the way you see it, it's life balance, not work-life balance. Um, it's a very good way of looking at it. Um, on a more serious uh, note, mm -hmm. um, I, I don't know how to introduce the question, but I mean, let's talk about when things maybe are not so great. So in terms of fears, what mm -hmm. is your biggest fear and how do you manage fear? Um, I, I guess my biggest fear is that uh, I'm not useful anymore. Hmm. That's That's where, you know, I get a phone call and people are like, uh, who is that? Why, why do I want to talk to them? Like I, <laughs> that would suck. That'd be really bad. You know? So I always try to make sure that I'm, I'm involved in things and staying relevant. And, uh, so you, there's another thing where f fear in, as a definition really comes down to the things that are out of your control, right? So what's in your control? So everything else is out of your control. Why do you worry about it? And I've had a number of conversations with people and people have written books about this kind of thing too on, on fear itself. And I really agree with that. Um, the whole point is that, you know, what's in your control, control it. What you want to do, the things you can influence, do those things. Everything that's outside of it, don't worry about it so much. You know, and so I, I'm involved in a lot of different things because I really enjoy it. And so my greatest fear would be that I'm not able to actually do a lot of things. You know, I, I, and, I was going to say, I don't think you need to fear that. <laughs> you will never lose your usefulness because I think you're very extremely useful to this industry. Um, Thanks, Joe. I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I just think you are, and I cannot wait to see what's going to come in the next few years, something that you don't even know about yet, um, and your brain in 10 years' time is going to come up with it, and you're going to launch it. So I'm, I'm curious about those things, um, mm. which you don't even know about yourself. So so I don't think you're going to lose your, your purpose <laughs> in the sector. Um, but also, I mean, business also involves some compromises. Um, sure. what, what is non-negotiable non for you? Uh, mm -hmm. What's the one thing that you would not compromise when you set up a business or you join a business? Um, what's non-negotiable? Uh, trust. So integrity. Um you know, for me, relationships matter in a big way. And when trust is lost, it's just not something you can get back. Hmm. You know, relationships really just wither and die if there's a lack of trust between people. And, you know, it, it there's another great quote. I, I, can't, I can't remember exactly how it was, but trust is built by little steps hmm. and consistency. So when you say, hey, you know, uh, let's get together for lunch. Let's do something, right? But if that's just talk... Don't say it. It's it, it really is useless. You know what I mean? And what you're saying is, hey, let's get together for lunch. But really, I'm never going to have lunch because I, I really don't want to. It's just filling air, dead air. Mm -hmm. So what, these little things that you commit to actually fulfill them, you know, and do them. Because that builds up the, tr the trust, the integrity, and the other things with people that, you know, those relationships are the ones that matter. Those are the, those are the ones that actually give you the opportunities right and uh the creativity and the entrepreneurship and the new the new chances those relationships will surpass companies companies come and go hmm. in the end of it but relationships stay uh stay yep. yeah 
I, I think that's a very good one. I mean, trust and loyalty are probably the two most important things um, that I, I consider them to be very important, not just on the business side as well, but on the personal mm -hmm. sides. And, uh, and like I said, you build trust little by bit, but you can also completely tear it down very quickly. Um, yeah. So, yeah. but I, I think that's it's a very good one. It's like a currency, you know, because, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the currency can go up, but it can crash because yeah. one thing happens and brr, it's like a stock price, right? Yeah. Oh, crap. <laughs> well, yeah. Johnny Diffie says Elon Musk cannot spend 1.5 on buying trusts, <laughs> 1.5 billion. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but we, we actually talk about um, Elon Musk in a second a little bit um, and mm. around his latest on uh, sustainability and cryptocurrency. But um, yeah. you've set up companies we've talked a lot about that and your fear and things are non-negotiable but what's that been the one failure that has happened in your career that you've learned from because we usually we learn more from our mistakes and failures than we learn from our successes mm. um because the failures yeah. will help you achieve that success yeah i i agree with that i but i i really don't see them as failures oh, okay. in my in my opinion i look at them as life lessons lessons you know because okay. you're basically going through something and john donahoe was the ceo of he's the ceo of nike right now but he was the ceo of it ebay uh when i was there and he said something that was stuck with me and it, it aligns to what you just said you learn most during adversity hmm. and at that point i hadn't to deal had not had to deal with uh much ad adversity i had not a lot of things that have gone wrong etc right so i didn't quite get it then you know then the proverbial shit hit the fan <laughs> on lots of different areas right mm -hmm. and um i things i'd never had to deal with before things that were hard and challenging and stressful and all the other that came from that you know and um and it was it was difficult and but i'll tell you i grew more during those periods of time than any other point in my career it forced me to look at things in a different way it forced me to prioritize you know so think of data center outages i've i've had a number of them and 100% of them are human errors. And that's one of the things that's very difficult to go back and actually control without process, checks and balances and those things. But still, it's humans, and they're going to make mistakes. But when you have something that has a cascading fault that impacts a business, that that's difficult. How do you go back and answer that question with an executive? You say, the data center just went down, Dean. Why did it go down? Well, first off, I'm responsible, period. I'm the executive. This is my portfolio. So nobody else is going under the bus except me, first off, right? Mm -hmm. Great. Then it's, and there's a trust element. Think about that one, right? The team needs to know that you have their back. Secondly, you need to have the, the kahunas to have the conversation directly with the executives to say, yep, I'm going to take the hits. I'm right here. Absolutely. Then you walk through and you, you start figuring out what, what happened. You know, because a lot of people get into this thing where you've got a, a really difficult situation and then it's reactive and it's emotional and those things. Remove all that. What is the problem? What do you got to do about it? And I look at these like incidents. I remember outages where, you know, we got a lot of people on, on, the, um, on the actual SEV call, right? We get a SEV one that comes up and we, have, we all get in there because things are down. There's got to be focus and clarity to make sure that you can actually get to what, what the real problem is because there's impact going on. And so there's been calls where I just basically had to use my authority because it's like too many people talking. I said, everybody stop talking right now. I need to know this. Okay, great. Next, I need to know this. So structured approach to it. So it's almost like getting in the zone 
And when you get in the zone, you have clarity and you can get to the answer and get this thing resolved. And so a lot of those things that happened, I didn't even know that I what I would do in those situations because I hadn't had big outages before. And I was pleasantly surprised with, you know, I when when it hits the fan, I get very, very focused, very focused, right? It's like <laughs> yeah, everything else, <laughs> everything else goes away. What's the problem? How are we going to solve the problem? Everybody get online, get aligned with doing it. And, you know, and the teams appreciate it. But then you also start pulling people in that do the exact same thing, especially in operations. So, so my point is during those situations and the difficult times is where I actually had lessons that I would never have had if I didn't have them. So I don't see them as failures. I see them as things that were difficult situations that taught me a whole hell of a lot. <laughs> I think that's an extremely well-made point. Um, Cause I mean, I myself having gone through things that maybe people would not consider as good as their own life, mm -hmm. I find those to be the moments that you really learn uh, sometimes what not to do and all the times always learn how to deal with that situation um, and just be prepared for the next one. Um, but then, and before we move into our next segment of the conversation, a general question, what is the one thing that digital entrepreneurs, the ones that are already working in the industry and the ones that are not working in the industry yet, um, what's the one thing that they need to know about the digital infrastructure space today? Mm -hmm. So the, the folks that are not in it today? Yeah, not in or in, okay. like, what's the one thing that people need to know, entrepreneurs need okay. to know about digital infrastructure? All right, so actually, I'm going to give you two. All right, yeah. so the- Okay, I, <laughs> just the press of one. <laughs> yep, you get, you get a double. Um, it's new, it's growing, it's extremely important uh, to every person in the world. It's the foundation for what we're doing and everything will continue to build upon it. But so that's the first one. Everybody needs to know this is not a, a bubble. This is not a spike. This thing's going to continue to grow. There's tons and tons of opportunity in that. The second one, I think, though, is that it's ready for disruption. Like I was saying, we're less than three decades old when you look at it as an industry. So we're kind of we're kind of children in this compared to like the automotive industry or manufacturing or, or those kind of things. There's a ton of lessons that they've gone through uh, that we can apply within our industry. So I think that when you look at this, things will be changing. That means it's ripe for opportunity at every level. Hmm. So if you are in the industry or coming looking into the industry, look at the opportunities that are going to be emerging here. It's growing. It has a lot of opportunities for disruption, right? And you can be in the middle of it. Hmm. I mean, I, I find it, I'm, I'm very embedded in the industry, uh, probably not as much as you are, but I'm so embedded. And I just find it amazing, um, the amount of change that's happening and how fast it is happening. And I think, mm -hmm. of course, COVID has speeded things up. But um, even without COVID, this industry was, has always been posed um, for tremendous growth. Um, yeah. But Dean, let me just make a quick break here, because before we continue, uh, here's a quick message from our partner in Border. Are your onboarding processes built for a world that no longer exists? Emborder is the first experience-driven onboarding platform and is a new way businesses onboard. Emborder's platform emphasizes the value of human connection and experience, putting the employee at the center of everything we do. With Emborder, you can turn new hires into highly engaged long-term employees and managers into onboarding rock stars. We're living in an experience era. Your employee expectations are higher than ever. So don't lose out on top talent and check out Emborder today. See the description for more information.
Welcome back to the second part of the Great Business Minds podcast episode with the one and only Dean Nelson. Um, Dean, in the first part, we talked a lot about your experiences and lessons, uh, but let's now go into the industry. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, we, as we said um, in the first part, this is an industry that's posed for tremendous growth. Everything is changing. People can be part of this change, but there are still some challenges. Um, Mm -hmm. What would you say are the main, let's say the three main challenges now? Um, and do you think that the real world, um, so I'm talking about people that don't even work in the data center space as well, um, mm-hmm. are they educated enough about the role of digital infrastructure um, and the real impact that it has on everyone's lives and on the planet as well? You know, um, I, I think if you asked this question in 2019, it would be a different answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the world is more educated now on the, uh, the criticality of, of technology on their daily lives because of the pandemic which is great. So it's basically raised the awareness uh, of what's going on. But think about it. 98% of the world has no idea how any of it works. Hmm. They just use it. Um, which, which actually I think is fine. When you think about the, uh, uh, the utility industry, when you plug it in, into a socket in the wall, do you care how the power is generated, how it's transmitted, no, you just frequencies? Yeah. yeah. You plug in and you do stuff with it. So same thing happens with technology here when you look at digital infrastructure. Um, the more that, uh, that people are using it, the more it's going to grow. And we've seen that across the world. Um, but I think that, I think that uh, we, we do need to control the narrative a little on this because what we cannot afford is that somebody else is doing that narrative about our industry. And this is where iMasons is really critical because if you look at it, we're uniting the builders of the digital age. To do what? To basically go after four specific segments that we can make an influence in: education, DNI, sustainability, and technology. Hmm. Well, that means we need to aggregate and amplify all the good work. But the last thing we can afford is that people look at the data center or the digital infrastructure industry as the next tobacco industry or the oil industry. And think about that, because the the contributions of technology to society and to, uh, to business, right, is critical. The world runs on this stuff, but also it should be doing that without harming the planet. And there's so much good work going on by so many big companies. Think about the commitments that Google and Microsoft, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, all of them are making to say, this is about a sustainable future. Well, that means that they're driving every click to improve that future. And this is one of the, you know, our sustainability vision for the industry. So the narrative here needs to make needs to be that, you know, we're building lots and lots of capacity around the world to serve all the demand. We're not, this is actually boosting GDP and the economy of global, right, entities. By the trillions of dollars. Yeah. And without it, we'll not make the progress we're making right now. So, and everybody's going after this from a sustainability standpoint, renewable energy and low carbon things within infrastructure being built and all those things. So I think there's, there's an important thing that we need to do to make sure that the world at large is, is first off understanding and appreciating what technology does for their daily life. And that we are already, and we have been for decades now doing the right thing. Because if not, you've got other people who are going to come in and start to regulate and do things based on what they perceive it is. You know, the New York Times came out with, the, uh, with an article years ago and said that, you know, this, uh, the data center industry is sucking up all the power and uh, emitting carbon, and it's basically killing the world. 
And in the end of it, when you look at it, when you start peeling it back, we're less than 1% of the utility draw globally right now in data centers. That's what the numbers are showing, maybe one and a half percent. It's going to grow quite a bit. But now you look at the investments that have been made, right? The tens of billions of dollars in renewable energy projects specifically tied to digital infrastructure and making sure that it's sustainable. All the big players are all in. And I'll give you, you know, I'm going to shout out to Microsoft and what they've done. They're going to pay back every carbon, all carbon emitted since 1975 mm, by 2050. Think about that. That that is that truly is a sustainability strategy, right? The vision of that one is like, how do you do that? Well, a lot of things to solve it, they don't even know yet. So they're going to have to discover it along the way, and they're going to collaborate with lots of people. But they've committed. So we have a. I'm very proud to be in this industry, and we need to make sure that everybody understands it, especially since 98% of the world has no idea. And if they read a headline that says, "Wow, look at these planet killing data centers." Ah, every time you land a data center, it boosts the economy in that that actual local jurisdiction. Hmm. Um, I, I I completely agree. And as a journalist, um, I've had to look at both sides of the story, and and I usually I don't like to take sides, but on this specific one, I do find that the data center industry has done and is doing extremely well um, when mm -hmm. it comes to being sustainable. Um, and also, we are doing things things like um, heat reusing, reusing heats to heat schools and hospitals and everything. That's very common mm -hmm. in the Nordics here in Europe, for example. Sure. And those are things that go unnoticed. Um, so we, we can't really be called like a pollutant industry. Um, of course, not everything is roses, but it's not yeah. bad. Yeah. Um, and in the next eight years, eight, nine years, so by 2030, uh, this is going to be, if not 100%, probably around 98, 99% green. Um, oh, yeah. And it's going to teach a big lesson to all the other big polluter industries out there. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> people are very serious about it. I mean, you, you look at, um, um, again, every click improves the future. That's a big statement, right? Mm. And so um, these companies have committed to it and they will make that difference. And so it, it, I keep going back to the narrative. iMasons is going to go help drive that mm. as a professional association to say, this is what our industry is. This is why it's important. And this is why we've been sustainability focused for more than a decade. So, no, I, I think the commitments that you guys have made, um, and companies like Microsoft, Google, um, AWS, eBay, LinkedIn, all of them, mm. I think um, it's quite extraordinary. And we see now the collocators now making big maintenance, like a yeah. lot of green bonds going on um, from Equinix to players in Asia. It's, it's just yeah. tremendous what's happening. Um, yeah. But looking, picking up on that, like it's tremendous what's happening and looking at the, the market growth, the drivers, the changing politics of the data center worlds um, with new taxes and data legislation laws and everything and the, the massive M&A wave that we've mm -hmm. been going through over the last five, six years and even beyond that. How would you describe the digital infrastructure market today? Um, hmm. Let me know what you think. I, I, I'd say it's booming. That's the key word. Um, I've never seen this much investment, you know, and growth. And uh, I, I give an example from Microsoft. Uh, <laughs> during the pandemic, I heard a number that just blew my mind. Hmm. They turned up 100 megawatts of new capacity in two weeks. Jesus. Just think about that. How, how do you do that? <laughs> no, those, those, <laughs> sorry, sorry. Exactly. I, I, I can't even, uh, Sonia, I was talking to Noelle, Noelle Walsh. She's uh, right. So the GM that runs uh, all operations and their innovation stuff. And um, so she threw through that number and I said, wait a minute, hundred megawatts in two weeks. 
said, yep. And think about it. It's across their portfolio. Colo partners to new construction, right? That's turned up to more capacity in existing data centers. They they literally had the teams just start because the demand was there based yeah. on the pandemic. This is within the first uh, two months of the pandemic. Because surge went up. So um, I, again, booming. And that hasn't slowed down. So I would say that uh, the market itself is... Um, ripe with investments. Data centers are now an asset class. Private equity and all the investors are looking at it like an airport and a power plant, et cetera. And it's a long-term investment that's going to have returns. So there's plenty of money coming back in. I do believe that there's going to be a couple factors. One is um, there'll probably be consolidation and there's going to be market price pressures that are going on. There's going to be efficiency um, requirements that are going to go in. And then from a political side, I, I, this is where I'm saying like the narrative and our self-policing. Uh, what we don't want to do is a bunch of, um, you know, government officials coming in who don't really have context of it actually is trying to set policies to drive certain things. It's going to drive the wrong behavior. What we want to do is collaborate with them to figure out what are the right things that should go in and when should they go in? Because we're self-policing right now and we're doing great things with that as an industry because it's just good business. And we've seen it in the past, once politics get involved, um, things, well, our artists don't have the freedom to create what they could have created. Right. Um, <laughs> it, it limits them, throttles them. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> um, speaking of artists, and of course, infrastructure masons has come up quite often um, in this conversation. But let's talk about infrastructure masons for a little bit. Yeah. Tell, me, tell me the history of infrastructure masons. It's a community for the builders of the digital, the digital infrastructure world. Mm -hmm. um, but you do so much more with that. One thing that I've always been quite impressed, and I think the sustainability side of it is very, very good, but it's the fact that you didn't forget the younger generations, which is one thing that we are in an industry, um, mm. and I don't know if you agree with me, we are in an industry of more older generations and old costumes. Um, and sometimes people get comfortable in their uh, board seats and they don't really want change. Um, and one thing that you've done from the beginning was always have younger people joining and getting people involved with this from kids to teenagers to university students um you've raised a lot a lot a lot of money to get a lot of kids um well not mm -hmm. kids, but a lot of students um mm -hmm. into into the digital world i mean I, i'm gonna get quiet there like explain to me infrastructure masons where did the name came from and what is this what are you doing with younger people what advice are you giving them and how are they getting involved with our sure. industry Sure. Yeah. I, um, I, I had a group called uh, Data Center Pulse uh, before uh, iMasons, and it was really to get my community together. I just I wanted the place where we could commute and collaborate and, and just keep building relationships and driving things as a as a collective. And so when uh, I went to eBay, I got really, really busy, you know, and then I lost I kind of lost touch with my community. So when I left eBay, I had a six month sabbatical in between before I went to Uber. Right. And um, I, I purposely spent time there and I called a few friends. I called eight of my friends and said, hey, I'd like to do something again. Would you like to do it with me? And they said yes. And, uh, you know, and these are big players in the market. They've done much more than I have. Right. I, I it's just great to be associated with them. And so we came together and started saying, OK, well, um, you know, this is more than data centers. It's. Mm. It's infrastructure. When you look at it, digital infrastructure is the stack. So, okay, then it's really everything from the operating system down and supply chain and all the other elements. And it's it's everybody. It's not just the people that are buying. It's the whole ecosystem, the suppliers, right? To the people reporting on the industry, yourself. Like everybody is involved in this thing. 
So we need a community. We're all coming back together. And so, um, and I thought, well, okay, well, like the, the builders, you know, like, oh, the builders, the masons in the past, you know, they, they had this, you know, trowel and you, know, you think about that when I like, well, we're kind of the builders of the digital age. Hmm. Yeah. We're like the infrastructure masons. So that's where it really came from was, okay. Um, so, so we got to there and then it was, well, what are we doing? Well, in the end of it, we're a professional association. No of us make, none of us make any money on this on purpose, right? There's no commercial, anything to it. We all leave our companies at the door. We connect as individuals and we work on things that are common to us. And the four objectives I was telling you before, right? Education, DNI, sustainability, technology. And then we amplify, aggregate and amplify all the great work of the members and the partner companies. Hmm. Cool. So, so that's kind of grown into this, um, a lot bigger than I expected it to be. <laughs> and, you know, influence that we can have. It's, it's really cool. We've got 40, 40 different brands involved in it now and over 4,000 people, right? Um, oh. And they represent just <laughs> the, the top 10% in the group themselves, as far as like leaders, represent over $150 billion in infrastructure projects in 130 countries. Just them I mean. alone, <laughs> right? So, so that, anyway, that's how it kind of went. And so we've got this voice and this collective coming together, you know, and Joe Cobb over at Google always said, uh, he goes, so to what end? What are we trying to accomplish? I'm, I want to jump into this, but what are we doing? What, what are we actually trying to do? And that's where the strategy really morphed into, into this one. Um, and so, again, I'm very proud of where we are. So, so to answer your second question, when it comes down to education, um, we also have the problem that you called out. And let me be very blunt. The majority of the industry looks like me. Oh, no. <laughs> Don't say. <laughs> no, no, no. no. Caucasian males over 50. Hmm. Think about that, right? So an aging population of one, one group, male, right? Mm. Caucasian. And so when you think about that, we have a lot of people that are going to gray out. We have people that are going to retire. We have those things. Yeah. And so what's the pipeline? And in the end of it, if you just look at the different groups themselves, we, we have less than 10% females in our industry, less than 10%. We're missing half the population as a talent pool. <laughs> then we're missing even more of that. There's less percentages for other underrepresented groups. And it varies country by country, of course, right? Of what is underrepresented. But in the end of it, we have to attract that new talent because first off, they don't know our industry exists, the 98%. They don't know the opportunities and the rewarding careers. So we have to get access to them for them to understand, hence the awareness thing. And then we need to give them opportunities to come in, hence the scholarship programs and align with these universities. So that's, that's been really cool for us to now attract students in. But at the same time, we need to be able to say, how do we support people in the industry? Who are the next leaders that are stepping up kind of in the middle of their career? You know, and then how do we champion them and mentor and help wherever we can? So that's really what our our community is about is a professional association of people that can actually connect and do things together. And it's all generations, right? It's all types. Everybody's welcome. Hmm. Now, I mean, I give you a lot of kudos on the inclusion and diversity side of infrastructure masons, because um, I really think it's one thing, especially when you started, it was a thing that was not looked at at all. Um, from a lot of people. And I, I remember speaking to people and interviewing some CEOs, um, American CEOs, European CEOs, and you ask them, what about young people? What are you doing about children? What are you doing about people in university? Mm -hmm. And usually you get a bit of a, like a sandoff question. We're like, yeah, yeah, we, we, we look into these things and uh, yeah, yeah, we just hired like a young person now. But there was never right. that, there was no, 
they didn't used to show me that needs for younger people or not even that needs. Mm. They didn't used to show me um, that they believed they needed that. Um, there was not that future-proof vision of a business that, um, yes, that CEO might be 50. Who's, who's the person that's 20 now that's going to be the CEO exactly years old in exactly time so um and i, I <laughs> yep. think that's really changed and i mean i've been following iMessage um since i first learned about you guys and i think that was 2017 i believe because you came to yeah. Monaco with chris baladi and um joe Carver. yeah and that yep. was my first contact um with um with iMessage and since then it's just just been like booming i mean you just said you have four thousand people now last time i heard this number which was just a few months ago was three thousand something so you've right. added nearly a thousand people <laughs> very quickly <laughs> you know the interesting part if you do a search on linkedin right now just with the keyword uh data center yeah six million results oh i saw 6.1 million 6.1 i actually don't ask me why, but I I, I pay attention to those things, and it was it's a lot. <laughs> so I, I just think we're scratching the surface. Is my point, you know? Yeah. Oh no, we're no, just I, getting started. I know. And you're spelling data center the American way because that's wrong. Why am I does. doing that? <laughs> no, 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 no. But uh, it's six point one million with the American spelling. Sometimes LinkedIn will not recognize as most platforms do not ah. as different. So there's always an extra there with the British spelling. So yeah. it's definitely way more than 6.1 million. Uh, but I mean, it's millions of people. And we're only saying the word data center. We're not putting in all the right. infrastructure guys. Uh, Digital infrastructure, so yep. Totally. It's millions and millions of people. But um, look, but beyond iMasons, and as you said, you've also got other things. I mean, Dean Nelson Inc. So mm -hmm. tell us about that, because this is one that actually I don't really know that much about. <laughs> so, so uh, being honest, I, I, yeah, no, I mentioned, I mentioned, uh, um, I joined Sun Microsystems on my 21st birthday. Yeah. Right. I left Uber on my 51st birthday. Okay. I had 30 years exactly in the industry doing operations and engineering roles. So um, I wanted a new chapter. And I, I don't know if I shared, but you know, my, my daughter got signed by RCA Records. She was going on tour, like her group, it's called Citizen Queen, right? Yeah. So literally in the middle of that, she got, she got signed to go do a world tour. And my wife and I are like, we have to go on tour. Of course. We, we wanted to follow her around. So it's like, thanks eBay, or th thanks Uber, I'm, I'm leaving. And I, I literally jumped and we started um, and right into her first tour, which is in Oakland, California, right? They did 30 stadium shows all over, all over the United States and Canada, right? Including the um, uh, Madison Square Garden. Wow. And like insane. Like this is one of those moments in your life where you're going, I, I can't miss any of this. I mean, so your kid, your kid made it to Madison Square Garden. I mean, what more? <laughs> yeah, it's surreal. <laughs> I, I, I can't anyway. So it's just really cool. But what I did was, okay, then, then I actually want to do some advisory work and, uh, you know, join boards and other things totally different. So I started that and then, um, you know, so I, I advise Fortune 100 companies and, and startups and private equity and, and those things. But I'm also on the board, a couple boards, a company called ADDC, right? And uh, they do these credit card size ruggedized computers, uh, servers that are out there. It's going to be on the edge. I'm on the board of VPS. And when I joined VPS, it was in the uh, September 2019. And then uh, we ended up doing a bunch of changes. And then they asked if I would step in as interim, interim CEO. Mm -hmm. I said, interim, sure. And I 
I should have known better. There's no interim. <laughs> Anybody ever tells you there's an interim CEO role? No, it no. doesn't exist. You, you either are it or not. <laughs> exactly. Exact. You're in or you're out. And so, and I was in and I just got, I got hooked. I loved it. So, um, so I still do advisory work with, uh, with, with folks today, but it's all complimentary. So I select the things that I'm working on here that are going to be where, again, I'm making an impact that it's kind of compounding. So I'm advising over here, but you know, there's an opportunity for iMasons, there's an opportunity for VPS, there's an opportunity for other elements of it to be able to now tie those pieces together. So that's why it's been very um, synergistic that I found okay. and where I spend my time has been been great. And honestly, remember the contextual switching? I love, I love the bouncing around. The advisory work is so satisfying because I can walk back in, see a challenge they've got, I can provide the advice and I can step away. I'm just giving them helping with all those pieces of it. And they, they got the talent and the team to go off and do it, but they just, a lot of times just need a little bit of insight outside perspective on it. Hmm. And then they break through. So it's really cool to watch. And it really, again, really satisfying for me. Yeah. And I mean, and I hope you don't mind me saying, but because you've got so much talent, you understand this so well, and you, you've got so much experience, it would almost be a waste for you to just be working for one company. <laughs> so we <laughs> share those seeds a little bit and help these guys really build um, the digital world. <laughs> it's definitely fun. Definitely fun. <laughs> yeah. And then one, one last question about one of your other um, organizations. And I think this one you started with your mom, if I'm not mistaken, mm -hmm. the, mm -hmm. the Just Let Me Learn Foundation. Um, yeah. How did the foundation come about? What does the foundation do? Um, what's the work at the moment? Sure, uh, I'll give you the short short of this one. Um, my, I was traveling when I was at Sun Microsystems all over the world, and uh, and I was on going to do a business trip to India. And so um, my mom, who had never flown over an ocean, I said, "Do you want to travel with me?" I was traveling alone. I said, "Sure." Yeah. So we flew over to India started in Singapore and she thought, man, Singapore is kind of like San Jose, California with palm trees. You know, it's like, <laughs> it just doesn't seem, seem very, very different. Right. And uh, then I took her to India and she had culture shock, but then she fell in love with it. Mm -hmm. And um, on the, she had also reached out to a bunch of people inside of India and said, I want to go just visit people. And she was going to do that on her own across India. I'm like, no, you're not doing wow, that on yeah, your own. That's... So, cause my, my mom lives in the mountains and she's a mountain woman. She just does her thing. Right. Yeah. And, so, so I said, Let, let's do it on the weekend. So we flew up to Patna and Patna used to be the, the um, capital, I think of India. And it's one of the most poverty stricken areas now. And as we went in there, it was just, it was one of those moments in your life where you realize, wow, it, I, and you just want to help. And so yeah. we met with this, uh, this, this person who was doing schools and, uh, and we, and I asked him, you know, what's your number one need? He goes, we need a school bus. These, these students can't get to school, right? And I mean, you know, it, again, they're teaching them hygiene and uh, like the basic things yeah. and then giving them education. I thought, okay. So on the flight back, I set up a thing. We did a, a fundraising thing and we, of course, bought a bus very quickly. And, and then my mom was saying, that's great. I want to build a school. So fast forward to today. Okay, since then. And now we built two campuses. Wow. And in those campuses, we have over a thousand kids enrolled every year. A thousand kids every year. I just can't. And and we had built these things big, like a data center master plan, because yeah. I looked at the you know how many people, how many potential, how many students, <laughs> etc. And then I said, build it modular and build it bigger. And guess what? Now in one of the campuses, we've exceeded the design capacity. They said maximum six hundred kids. We built it for seven hundred fifty extra classrooms, bigger, etc. To do it. Last last year when I was over there in twenty nineteen, seven hundred sixty six enrolled. 
Jeez. And it's like, okay, so now we have to build another building and another 12 classrooms and all this. So that, it, that's a, we basically go back and drive these campuses to give access to kids who, uh, to education, to kids who may not have it. And it's just, I, I, it's really hard to explain um, going over there and having hundreds and hundreds of kids just run up and hug you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't you know, imagine. Yeah. It's like my mom is, you know, their mom. Uh, yeah. you know, and anyway, so she looks at it as all my kids in India. It's like, oh yeah. man, it's just, anyway, so that, that's a, that's a, again, another very rewarding thing, uh, yeah. giving back. Yeah. I mean, that, that's beautiful. And, uh, I mean, I would like to actually get more involved with that. Um, if you allow me, so we'll chat <laughs> offline. Yeah, of course. Point. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, but look, all you've said is amazing and all the conferences you've got are amazing, but I also said that I'm interested in what your brain is going to think about in 10 years time. But you might not know what you're going to think about in 10 years' time, but I'm sure you're already thinking of something for the next year or two or three years' time. What's next for you? What, what plans have you got? <laughs> uh, I said this at the beginning, and this might be a little controversial, but um, I, our industry is ready for disruption. It yeah. is. And uh, we got to shake some things up. And the only way to do that is just to is to dive in and start doing things completely different and showing exactly how it's going to get done. So I can't go into the details of it, but there's a few pieces that are fitting together mm. into what I believe the future will look like. And I want to do it today. So we should go back and actually build and do it. And if we do that, it's going to, it's going to influence and drive the industry because it will be a forcing function for the industry to change. And, um, you know, we, we've, uh, I'm not beating up on people. There's, there's a lot of really good business models and a lot of money being made, but there's so much more opportunity for us to be even more efficient, right? And effective and have more yield and lots of things that can go on if we step away from the way that we've done it for decades. And so I, I can't go into more details about it, but to me, it is what is that, that future design that's going to truly disrupt this industry? Okay. When so. can we expect more details? Because now I'm very curious. 17 months. Okay. 17 months. You're going to make me wait 17 months. Mark, mark the date. Mark the date. No, <laughs> things will come out, but I think the, the disruption will start. Um, uh, we'll actually be rolling by that point. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm very curious. I can't even imagine what I'm going to be coming um, from you. Uh, but look, we are nearly at the end of our chat. And I just wanted to ask you a question around advice. What's mm -hmm. been the best and the worst advice you've ever received? Hmm. Uh, pretty simple. I, I think the best one is don't sweat the little things. Hmm. You know, if you look at it, um, there's, uh, think, think about in your career, when you, when you were in a situation, it's like, oh my God, this is so bad. It's so terrible. I can't deal with this one. Fast forward five years and look backwards. Hmm. How, how actually big was that? Not even a two out of 10. <laughs> right. Did it really even matter? You know, and what seems like the end of the world at that point is just another step. So I think that I would say the best advice I got was, you know, don't, don't sweat those things. Don't worry about that. Just keep, keep moving on. And like you said, the fear aspect, right? Worry about the things that you can control. Do something about those. What the ones you can't, don't worry about it because there's nothing you can do about it anyways. And then one other thing I would say that the, the worst advice, um, um, standing up and battling your boss. Oh, yes. never a good idea. Now, the thing <laughs> is, there is a way to do this in which you can be productive. 
And I've had these things where, you know, I've battled my boss and it was because I thought, you know, principle and standing up for this thing and whatever else. But in the end of it, you know, you have to figure out how to compromise and you have to figure out how to communicate. Hmm. Because most likely your boss, who usually has more experience than you in what they're doing, has some reasoning for something they're doing. Now, um, not that they're always right, but my point is there's a, there's a paper that was written uh, probably two decades ago. It's called Managing Your Manager. Look it up on the internet. It's a really interesting thing. Find out what your manager actually cares about what they need. Align the elements. It's kind of like that business conversation. If you can talk about how it impacts the business, you're going to be able to make progress. So when you think about it from your boss, how do you, how do you go back and get in tune with what they have to deal with? Because if you can understand that next layer above, then you're contributing. You contribute to what they're doing. It, you're just you're helping your boss be successful. It makes you successful. Everything just blossoms from there. It's a positive cycle, and I mean, you also never know what goes on in their life and their life experiences and what they're worried about. Like yeah. you said, um, I mean, yeah. I remember a few years ago meeting a CEO of a company um, who we had a few drinks, and then after a while, when his employees left, he kind of confines that um, to him. The biggest worry is to be able to pay salaries at the end of the month. Yeah. Um, not that the business was doing bad, but it's because he said it in such an, a human way, which was, I need to make sure that these guys go home. And then by the last working day of the month, they get a check in their bank accounts so they can feed their families and pay the rent and yep. have a roof over their heads. So mm. yeah, stand, standing up to your boss, sometimes you need to get the full picture before you put your feet in a, in a glass, uh, on a glass floor. Um so, yep. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, that's probably very bad advice, really. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the good advice, I, I love it. And I think that's, that's completely correct. Um, and I've learned that myself as well. Um, and I think, sure. um, yeah, well, you learn on the job, like you said. So <laughs> <laughs> You make the mistakes, um, you learn. Yep. <laughs> exactly. And especially when, I mean, people like us are so busy all the time. If you really mm -hmm. start sweating about something small, that would disrupt everything else because then you're stuck. Um, and then nothing else will get done. Your nine to five goes into a Monday to Friday and you haven't done anything. Um, yep. So I, I yep. think that is a very good advice. And look, last question, and this one's quite straightforward. What is your favorite quote and by who? Hmm. So um, I don't know who made this quote, but this one I, I, I have applied to myself quite a bit hmm. uh, because I'm a perfectionist, right? Yeah. I, like, I like everything to be fitting together yeah. and all that, but perfection is the enemy of progress. Yes. You have to find out what is good enough and move it, ship it, get it to that point. If not, you're never going to get stuff done. And I'm going to give you one of my own that I tell my daughter all the time. Yeah. And she rolls her eyes every time on it. <laughs> oh, uh, the good old eye roll. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, uh, is it'll work out. It always does. Yeah. It'll work out. And I think, I mean, I can't think of a time when it's more timely <laughs> as well for everything that we're going on, that we're going through um, mm. as a planet, as like a one one globe um, all, all together. Um, might be bad, but better days will come and it will work Absolutely. out. Uh, with Absolutely. <laughs> It'll work out. It always um, does. Dean Nelson, thank you so much for joining um, and for being our first guest as well. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> took, I'm, I'm honored. Thank you. <laughs> took the wall of fame here. <laughs> I'll be like framing your picture once I get a studio. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much. Um, and to our listeners, thank you for tuning in. And don't forget to review and share this episode. You can also follow the Great Business Minds podcast on all social media platforms, and you can find the links in the podcast description. Do subscribe to the show and we invite you back again for next week's episode on your favorite platform, the Great Business Minds podcast. See you then.